This is the Education Exchange with Paul Peterson. I am the Senior Editor at Education Next. Thank you for joining us. Homeschooling is one of the fastest growing school choice programs in the United States. Yet its growth is occurring under the radar with very little attention to just who is being educated at home and just what is happening to the family and to the children. And much of the discussion is dominated by one side or another who makes strong claims either in favor or in opposition to homeschooling. So it's not very often that we have a dispassionate observer of the scene available to uh, talk about the homeschooling movement. But today I have with me Daniel Hamlin, a professor of educational leadership at the University of Oklahoma, who brings a much more nuanced, objective stance towards the homeschooling movement. He has recently published a study on the utilization of the cultural resources in the community by homeschoolers. So thank you, Daniel, for joining me on the Education Exchange. Hi, Paul. Uh, You're welcome. It's great to be speaking with you. So, Daniel, there's a lot of controversy over just how many homeschoolers there are and how fast the homeschooling movement is is growing. What's this debate all about, and what's your best estimate of the size of the homeschooling movement? Well, the U.S. Department of Education estimates around 3 million homeschoolers. There are some uh, homeschooling organizations that disagree somewhat with that figure, and they estimate a larger number. Uh, I think part of the the controversy um, also depends on how you classify a, a homeschool student. So uh, right now we've seen a, a very uh, large growth in students, uh, not only homeschooling, but homeschooling in tandem with online education or possibly attending a university part-time. And so there are many different uh, classifications of homeschoolers right now, and and different understandings of exactly what a homeschooler is. And then I think you add to that some of the difficulty in just keeping track of homeschoolers and identifying of them locally or at the state level or at the federal level. And it's there's some uncertainty about uh, the numbers right now. Well, don't you have to register as a homeschooler in, in most states and say, I'm homeschooling my child, don't, don't count them absent or tardy or, or whatever? Right, and I, I think that's where some of the debate comes in because uh, there are some of the more traditionalist homeschoolers that say, well, if you're doing online education most of the time or maybe you're doing dual enrollment, that that's not really homeschooling, although um, some states may classify um, or some parents, rather, may report that they're homeschooling when they're doing those things. So that's, I think, part of the debate that's out there right now is, um, yes, uh, people may be reporting that they're homeschooling or not homeschooling for different reasons, and uh, there's some disagreement about what it actually means to be homeschooling, and I think that kind of gets lost in some of the reporting. So what does the U.S. Department of Education do? What, how do they count homeschooling? Do they go by the number of registered homeschoolers? Yeah, well, that that's my understanding, is that they use the number of uh, homeschoolers that's um, states report to them. So that could be uh, a low-end count. So um, that would be probably a conservative estimate there, and so it could be north of that figure. I, I think that's certainly possible, and I, I, that is what some of the homeschooling organizations that are out there that 
work with homeschool families across the country, they're arguing that that might be a low-end figure because of the way that uh, the Department of Education collects that information. So what do we know about the kinds of people who are homeschooling their children? I think the traditional uh, interpretation of homeschooling is that it consists of those people who are upset with the public schools and the values that are being taught there, and they want to educate their children themselves to make sure that they are not exposed to perspectives and uh, lifestyles that, with which they strongly disagree. Is, is that a fair statement about what the homeschoolers are all about? Well, I, I think that is sort of the traditional notion of a, of a homeschooler, but I think if you look at um, the homeschooling literature over the past decade or, say, 15 years, there's a lot of research um, looking at exactly who homeschoolers are and why they homeschool, and it appears to be increasingly a, a very, uh, a much more diverse group. So you find, um, for example, you may find uh, homeschoolers in Silicon Valley now uh, that kind of mix and match online education and private tutoring with, with homeschool lessons. Um, you may also find uh, parents who are uh, seeking to um, to honor uh, cultural identities, and so they may homeschool their children with an emphasis on a particular cultural identity. And so there's really a, a I think the, the sort of reasons for homeschooling have become much more diverse and varied, particularly in recent years. And then you add to that um, the, 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 the notion that many people will homeschool and then maybe also mix homeschooling with uh, a part-time education online or, for example, dual enrollment, and then you get some uh, quite a bit of um, different rationales uh, for, for, for parents deciding to homeschool. Well, so if you are homeschooling your child, what resources can you draw upon? I mean, is it, it's, is it just what the parents know, or how do they, how do they make sure their children get a decent education? Well, I... I I think first off, it probably depends in large part on how the parent approaches homeschooling. So yes, it could be just based on what the parents know and think is important. But I think uh, if you look at some of the studies that are out there, and admittedly, um, it it remains an underdeveloped area of research. But if you look at the studies that are out there that try to understand these things, uh, parents will, or at least homeschool parents will, will use many different strategies for educating their kids. So, for example, um, one uh, popular thing that a lot of homeschoolers do is to join a, a homeschool co-op. And by joining one of these cooperatives, they may pool their resources um, with other homeschool families to perhaps bring in tutors. So, for example, if parents don't feel that they're very well-versed in, say, uh, a particular foreign language, and they want to have their children uh, learn a foreign language, then they might get together in a co-op and bring in a tutor for their kids to learn that foreign language in that way. And so uh, there's, there's certainly different approaches that parents take. And of course, uh, online there are uh, uh, a growing number of materials out there that parents use and access to, to deliver home education now. And so um, it really sort of just depends. 
Well, you, in your most recent uh, uh, research that you've published, uh, look at the homeschoolers' use of cultural resources within their community and compare them to, to uh, other students who are similar but go to uh, uh, public schools. So, um, first of all, let me ask you, how did you do this study? Because it's really, really difficult to study uh, people who uh, are homeschooling their child, just as we've been talking about here. So how, how did you, were you able to go about doing this study? Yeah, well, um, interestingly enough, uh, the Department of Education uh, it does a, a nat what, what it calls its National Household Education Study. Um, and one of the most recent iterations was in 2016. And it's a nationally representative uh, sample of a little over well, a little over fourteen thousand families with children attending public and private schools, and it also includes about uh, over five hundred homeschool families. So, to be precise, uh, this particular sample had five hundred and fifty-two homeschool families. So, so in other words, you, you, you're pretty you're, rare for homeschool research. You're you're picking backing on another study that was studying all parents in in uh, of uh, school-aged children. And, and this study asked 14,000 of them, a nationally representative sample of 14,000 people, a bunch of questions about what they were doing with their children, and they happened to capture over 500 uh, homeschooling families as part of their uh, inter uh, uh, survey uh, uh, sample. That's right. So, the, so they have this uh, pretty nice uh, sample of homeschoolers to look at, and that would allow that allowed for the comparison of homeschoolers and also public school and, and uh, private school families. Um, and so, in in the study, um, what I do is I ask: uh, Do do homeschool children have opportunities to acquire uh, cultural capital or be exposed to cultural capital? And uh, the, the really the motivation for that um, kind of comes from a concern that by not by by children not attending a traditional brick and mortar school that they may lose out on opportunities to be exposed to um, to cultural capital. So think of things like knowledge of of classical literature, um, exposure to music and arts through classes at school and. Uh, content experts at school. And so one concern is that for homeschool families, it may be hard to deliver instruction in, in humanities and, and fine art and music. And so uh, in the end, a lot of homeschoolers kind of lose out on these cult uh, exposure to cultural capital, uh, which it turns out has been uh, associated uh, in many studies with um, a number of different life outcomes and also uh, student outcomes like educational attainment. And so um, I wanted to see in this study, is there any evidence that, um, that homeschool families do kind of lose out on opportunities to uh, acquire cultural capital through art, music, and exposure to, to foreign language and literature? So what questions were in that survey that allowed you to, to get at this? What were some of the things that you asked or the, 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 the uh, government agency that did the survey asked that, uh, that you could uh, uh, take a look at? Yes. Yeah, so 
um, the the Department of Education asked specifically to the homeschoolers what uh, subjects they taught at home uh, when when uh, teaching their children, or and and so um, they asked them about music, art, literature, and foreign language. So humanities subjects that are are typically tied to this uh, notion of cultural capital. And then the the Department of Education also asked all families about uh, different types of cultural and family activities that they do with their children. So uh, things like going to a live performance or attending a, a museum or visiting an art gallery or doing arts and crafts with your children. So what did you find? Do you find that uh, homeschooling children do this as frequently as other children, or, or are they more uh, culturally isolated? Well, so one of the interesting findings um, is that homeschoolers tend to be much more likely to participate in a lot of these activities, especially those that uh, are tied to this uh, concept of cultural capital. So uh, as an example, homeschool families were about two, uh, about two and a half times more likely to report taking their children to a museum or an art gallery, um, more than two and a half times more likely to do uh, activities like arts and crafts with their children. Um, and this was after taking into account really um, a, st- a standard range of different background factors like family structure and socioeconomic status. And interestingly, one of the one of the interesting sort of descriptive findings was that uh, if you kind of broke out the data and looked at homeschool parents with a high school education or less, interestingly, they reported doing more cultural activities with their kids than uh, a public school or even a private school parent with a university degree or higher. Um, and so there were so they do seem to be at least there was some evidence that. Uh, they may be trying to maybe compensate for what might be lost by not uh, attending maybe a music or art class at school, by going out and doing more of these activities in the community. Um, so those are some of the interesting findings there. Yeah, now, now you, I guess you can't say that homeschooling leads to this, because it could be just that they're the kinds of people, the kinds of people who would take their kids to the art museum are the kinds of people who homeschool their children. It's really not necessarily that homeschooling per se causes a parent to do this. Yeah, and, and really this is kind of just a, an issue with homeschooling research in general and why it's difficult to really know uh, what is really the true effect of homeschooling on a given outcome. So you're right. Um, we don't know if the homeschool families are just simply more active and more motivated that um, just the choice to homeschool itself may be representative of increased motivation. And so if you turned around and stuck these same families in, say, public or private schools, perhaps they would continue to do these things at, at, at the very same rate that they did when they were homeschooling. We, we, we just don't know. Um, and so this kind of remains an issue with homeschooling research where We'll kind of find these associations, but it's it's difficult to know whether you can attribute that to homeschooling itself or something about the parents that's just different. Well, were there any kinds of activities that uh, homeschooling parents were less likely to do with their children? So you talked about they're more likely to do some of these things, but what aren't they doing? 
as compared yeah, to the Panthers? A, yeah, that's a great question. There was actually of of the fourteen activities that the survey queried, um, the they were actually not less likely to do really anything. They were about equal with public uh, school and private school families in attending uh, sporting events, um, and they were um, equal in, go- in um, attend in, in activities uh, related to uh, things like sports, but for other activities, going to a zoo or an aquarium. Um, attending a museum and some of these other cultural activities, uh, it, the homeschoolers were, were more likely to do them relative to, to public school and private school families. Well, the Department of Education uh, reported that the homeschooling movement did not grow as fast uh, most recently as compared to previously. Do you think the homeschooling movement is beginning to top out? Have, have we seen its uh, period of great growth come to an end as, as, as you reach about, uh, what, 5%, 6% of the population, uh, you're reaching about as, as high as you're going to get with this, uh, because it's a lot of work to homeschool your child. It is a lot of work, and I, I mean, um, so I, I can't really speculate whether uh, it is topping out or not. What I can say, though, is that I think before we can make that determination, we, we kind of have to figure out how we're going to classify what homeschooling is. And so um, if, if some states are saying homeschooling can be a mix of uh, homeschooling in tandem with online education and, and other, um, uh, other, say, enrollment in a local university, and other states kind of limit it just to homeschooling itself, um, it's hard to know exactly if homeschooling's topping out and where it might be topping out. So I, I think the first step really would be to kind of classify exactly what we're talking about when we say homeschooling, especially given how fast things are changing and the ways that parents are using uh, the different sort of educational options that are out there right now. So what are your policy think- recommendations, Daniel? Do you, what do you think is the direction that government policy needs to go with respect to the homeschooling movement. Do we need to have more clarity in regulations? Do we need more standardization nationwide? Uh, what's, or, or should we just be happy the way things are? Well, uh, I, I typically leave, the, as, a, as a researcher, I like to leave the policy recommendations to the policymakers. Um, but I do think that a good starting point for for policy would be to to try to get some more um, standardization and again to really kind of delineate what we're going to call homeschooling. So, uh, if you look at some states where you have, for example, education savings accounts, well, there are a lot of uh, people who are using education savings accounts and also homeschooling at the same, at the same time. Um, so there's all kinds of different things happening when someone's using, say, an education savings account for a basket of services uh, versus maybe someone else in another place who's um, uh, homeschooling and doesn't, doesn't access any, any kind of an education savings account or the state doesn't have something, uh, any, any type of provision for one. And so uh, 
again, I, I think we kind of need to first start figure out what we're actually talking about, and uh, and then I think policymakers might might go from there. Well, thank you, Daniel, for illuminating the world of the homeschooler, a world that uh, we're becoming increasingly uh, fascinated with because they do provide such a sharp contrast uh, to the rest of our educational system. You're welcome. It was very nice speaking with you, Paul. So I've been speaking with Daniel Hamlin, a professor of educational leadership at the University of Oklahoma, who has just published a study of the cultural activities of families that homeschool their children, finding them to be much more engaged in community cultural activities with their children than are people who send their children to public school, even for adjusting for the family background of the child. Thank you, Daniel, for joining me on the Education Exchange. I am Paul Peterson. This is the Education Exchange. Please join me every Monday at noon when our weekly podcast is released on the Education Next website.